This week, we're talking about the hurricane, Afghanistan, and several other topics. Welcome to another week of me and my teen and the news. I'm Tim. And I'm Ben. Ben is on his very last day before his first official day back in the classroom. Hey. Excited about that, yes? Nope. Have you been following all the changes and controversy and mask mandates and whatnot? Eh, kinda. Yeah. You're not concerned? Eh, not really. You gonna wear a mask? I I, I would like to not be bullied, so... (laughs) (laughs) So, no? Yeah, probably. I mean, I've been vaccinated. That's true. It might be required on the bus, I'm not sure. We should probably check that out. Yeah, we probably should. So this week, uh, there's, you know, as we record this, we are seeing some of the devastation from Hurricane Ida that's hit the New Orleans area. Um, What are you seeing in terms of coverage from that? Uh, There's a hurricane. It's doing a lot of damage. And yeah. (laughs) That's it? Uh, It's pretty big. Is that... So you haven't, uh, it sounds like you haven't really thought a lot of updates or paid too much attention to it. Not really. I mean, what's there to pay attention to? It's a hurricane. It's pretty self-explanatory. So you haven't followed the track of the hurricane, the patterns, the... Uh, I think it's going, like, northeast Yes, kind of. Uh, you probably don't even really remember Hurricane Katrina, I suppose. When was that? It was about ten years ago. Yeah, I wouldn't remember that. Yeah, that was uh, one of the reasons why everyone's... I mean, any hurricane can be devastating. This is the fifth largest to hit the United States mainland in recorded history. Um, New Orleans is particularly vulnerable, not just because of where it is, but because, as we saw during Hurricane Katrina, it can become uh, susceptible to heavy, heavy amounts of flooding. Much of the city is actually below sea level. Uh, And as the level of the Gulf rises and the Gulf gets warmer, we will see more hurricanes. But I would have thought that you would have been keenly tuned in to the climate change aspect of this hurricane. Of course I have been. It's been kind of hard to miss. It's kind of ironic how the West desperately needs water and the eastern United States is getting way too much of it. That's fun. Yeah, you would think that there'd be some simple solution, like how can we get water from the east to move to the west, but I've cited this a little bit. You'd you'd have to go through the Rocky Mountains. Yeah, the Continental Divide's a problem. Yeah, it's a bit of an issue. However, we managed to go through mountainous Alaska with an oil pipeline, and it is possible to have a pipeline of water from, say, the Mississippi Delta to Arizona going through the southern route, but you'd have to pump some water pretty high up, even near El Paso. You still have quite an elevation change. And the big problem has been so far that water isn't as viable as oil. But Yeah, water doesn't make you nearly as much money as oil. But it could save governments and people lots of money because such a pipeline, I don't know what it would cost, but if it could reduce the billions, if not trillions of dollars in damage from the drought and wildfires out west, That might change the math, and I think we may see a point in our future, maybe in our lifetimes, maybe not, where government, I won't call it manipulation of the weather, but government realignment of resources to cope with the changing weather patterns due to climate change will eventually someday become reality. Yeah, 
Or we could just, you know, stop using oil. Oh, you don't want to drive when you turn 16? Could I? Well, you know, there's a lot of easier options. There's biofuels. Mm. There's electric cars. Electricity still has to come from somewhere. Yeah, but it can come from renewable power sources. Sometimes some of it can. A decent portion. Hmm. Well, so you are take going massive to... human investment, and the entire mm-hmm. world would have to commit to it. But it's pretty easy to do. Well, like, pretty easy to do to get the whole world to commit to something. Ah, uh, yeah, and you're right. Do this it. is the whole world we're talking about, but. I mean, if the U.S. takes the lead, then everyone else will kind of follow along, right? Really? What? The U.S. has a lot of allies. And if the U.S. says, okay, we're going to stop using oil, then price of oil will probably tank. Well, sure. And, but to be honest, it's China who's had the bigger impact on oil lately because it's China driving the move to electric cars. Yeah, and we need to catch up. Mm-hmm. But even at, at that, you know, creating electricity causes some kind of pollution. It's just whether it's coal and the smoke or nuclear and nuclear waste. Um, the exception, of course, being solar and wind, though they have their challenges. Yeah, but they're pretty easily accessible. So will you make a pledge not to use any more electricity until you know it's 100% from renewable sources? Uh, nah. Nah. (laughs) Uh, I'd like to, you know, live. Right. That's understandable. And I'd like, you know, light bulbs and indoor plumbing. Plus, I don't really know where my electricity comes from. No, maybe you should research that. I mean, we don't have any, a lot of oil pipelines. Well, oil isn't really generally used for electricity creation. I guess it'd be probably either coal or nuclear. Yeah, that's where most of our electricity comes from, where we live. Yeah. Nuclear energy's not that bad. I mean, it's gotten a lot safer. I did see there's some promise in fusion. Uh, Did you see that news? Yeah, that could be fun. If we could actually make fusion work, then suddenly a lot of our challenges with electricity creation could uh, go away. Cool, so we'll just wait for that. It might never happen. Huh. Well, we gotta do something to solve this crisis. Maybe Mm -hmm. if we stopped, I don't know, drilling in the Arctic? Okay, that's... We could easily mm -hmm. transition off of oil... To pure electric cars based on renewable energies. Pretty much, yeah. Hmm, if it seems so easy, why do you think we haven't done it yet? Oil lobbyists. Oh, worldwide oil lobbyists. There's a lot of there are a lot of people and countries who made a lot of money in oil and would have a vested interest in keeping it. Yeah, cough cough U.S. cough cough Saudi Arabia cough cough a lot of other people. That's true. That's true. Uh, but still, the reason I bring that up, and it is interesting in the Gulf of Mexico, where much of the world's oil comes from, actually, half the platforms were shut down as a hurricane came through. Uh, fortunately, no disasters that I've seen from the hurricane in the oil fields, but, 
But since the hurricane didn't really capture your attention this past week or two, what what really has been capturing your attention? Uh, Afghanistan, mm-hmm. new crazy COVID treatments. I think we should talk about that. I can't wait to hear your profound medical opinion on new COVID treatments. Ben, tell us all about it. So there's this new, basically a conspiracy theory that this drug called Evermectin yes. can help treat COVID patients. Unfortunately... For everyone, Evermectin is an anti-parasite livestock drug, which which means not only is it unsafe for human consumption, it also does nothing and is pretty dangerous to use. uh, People are ending up in the hospital from using it. Yeah. So what have you seen? Like, is this widespread? Are there millions of people using this? Tens of thousands? 20 people using this? Probably in the tens of thousands. what What gives you that impression? I think I read it somewhere. Yeah? I mean, Facebook's been very slow to act on this whole issue mm-hmm. when it comes to new COVID treatments. So, right. you know, there's a whole lot of disinformation and misinformation on Facebook. Okay. But in the reporting you've seen about it, you've seen a lot of stories about this? A decent chunk. And have any of these stories actually tried to quantify how widespread the usage is? Uh, not really, but it's clearly a big enough problem that people are reporting it. Or a sensational enough problem that even if only a handful of people are doing it, it gets a ton of attention. Well, maybe. Never really considered that. So this is one of the key things when you look at media reports on things like this is look for actual information on how widespread it is because our attention goes to the unusual as humans. Our attention focuses on unusual things. And if we are already made to believe there's a widespread amount of craziness happening, then even reports of a small number of people doing something get treated as though they are universal. Now, I actually don't know how many people are using this this parasite-killing livestock drug. It, it was addressed by Dr. Fauci and others, I think, as saying, hey, don't do this. But I think that, that as much blame as we give Facebook, it is something we need to look at when we have in the media, when we have people reporting generalities about something like this, to think about, wait, how many people are really using it? I guess that's a good point. But it's clearly, you know, if even one person overdoses and dies from this misinformation, that's still, in my mind, one person too many, right? That's absolutely true. Absolutely true. I'm curious about the psychology, and I want to get your thoughts on this, of people who reject the vaccine, but then try these experimental remedies and and say that they they will work. Um, What do you think about that? Huh, well, that's like idiocracy squared. That's like double stupid, and I I, I really can't comprehend the... I I think it has a name, I just can't remember it. It's like cognitive dissonance, where two untrue things in your mind can be true at the same time. Huh. That's an interesting phrase. Yeah, it's uh, something that I think... 
if you look at it, it's not entirely unlike the way we make a lot of our decisions generally in life, but I don't know. Do you see, and I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, like anything else, any parallels in how you've seen others make decisions or have you thought about things? Or? I think it, I think the only example I can really think of is with, I saw it was a reporter asking Trump supporters about a mask. So you'd ask them, are you pro-life? And they'd say yes. And they say, why aren't you wearing a mask? And they'd say, it's my body, my choice. So it's that kind of cognitive dissonance where even though those two ideas are incompatible and make no sense, the brain can make enough mental hoops that it can jump through so that it can believe both things are completely infallible. Do you think uh, we do this outside of politics? I feel like we do it with a decent amount of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can think of, you know, like there's probably some simple sports examples of things. We make assumptions about something and assume it's that way. And then years of data and research later, we find out, oh, no, there was a better way. Um, yeah. That's probably it, but... I think the key takeaway here is that people are idiots. Well, that is generally how teenagers look at the world. Is it wrong in this time, though, well, to say that there's a decent portion of people who are idiots? We all have our times where we don't think clearly. <sighs> how are you so altruistic about everything? Because I understand that people are more complex and putting them in groups of brilliant and idiots because... Um, well, I don't want to be in the idiot group alone, and sometimes I think I have good ideas. So <laughs> I try to think that everybody's got those moments. And I spent a lot of time in news getting to know a lot of people, both in the media and the people the media reported on. And I've just seen a lot of really smart people do dumb things. And people who you might have thought were not that intelligent actually turning out to be really very intelligent in certain areas. So. Life is not as simple as the black and white categorizations of people. I guess, but in this specific example, these people that are doing this thing are acting like idiots. So they have, for some reason, they've, their minds have gone this way on this particular path. I don't know if it's necessarily their fault. I feel like it's more of a problem with misinformation on Facebook. Yeah. I think that plays a huge part in it misinformation of course has been around a long time even with vaccines you know there was the fake study uh in the late 80s that linked uh vaccines to autism yeah and for years parents have been worried about that but it, it has been since reported and proven you know that study was made up uh in an effort to file a lawsuit against a pharmaceuticals company it was the data was manufactured it Basically, wasn't true. Uh, yeah, it was all a scam. I know that study. I think they used like seven people uh, for the entire study, and then two of them, it turned out, didn't actually have autism. But it was something that got reported widely as sensational information in the media of the late 1980s, and then it took several years before everybody sort of went back and said, oh, no, this was totally fake. This was completely a scam. And the person who ran the study about a decade ago said, oh, yeah, we totally made that up. It was a complete lie. And yet there are still people who believe it. Yeah, I don't really know how that works. And if we go back even further, there's this, you may have heard of the Elders of Zion. 
no idea what Never that is. Never that it's this idea that they're a secret group of Jewish leaders who are really running the world. This just seems like old person QAnon. Well, and in some ways it was. It was started as a sort of a joke uh, story meant for uh, like a, I think it was even like a bedtime story for somebody or something, but like a, a inside one family kind of a joke pamphlet story that somehow got spread by a few people and then it just took off. And so even long before the internet, long before broadcast, um, misinformation has been something that has the ability to spread really quickly. Yeah, and that's always an issue, but social media has turned that up to the max because, you know, if you wanted to get people to catch on to stuff back in, say, 1975, you'd have to, like, start a newspaper mm -hmm. or call your congressman or physically call people. Now you right. can just type a few words on your phone and send it to the entire world. And if it's towards something that people are preconditioned to believe, they are more likely to believe it without thinking it through. Yeah. And then the more people, it's kind of exponential growth because the more people you see believing it, you're like, all of these people can't be idiots. Therefore, it's probably true. And I think as you started your college uh, history class, right? Yeah. I think as you go through that history class, think about this conversation, and I think you'll find a lot of examples in history of how that works. And maybe it doesn't work in some ways. Yeah. Uh, speaking of what's not working, Afghanistan. Well, all right. So Greatest segue of all time right there. That is why wow, you're like a pro. In the media business, we call that an, an excellent segue. That was smooth like a Trey Turner slide. Don't know who Trey Turner is. Oh, that's right. You don't watch baseball. Um, anyway. Uh, look it up, people. It's a very smooth slide. Anyway, Afghanistan. Okay, so what are you, you know, this has been going on for a little bit. What are you seeing about Afghanistan now? Well, first of all, there was a huge suicide bomber attack that mm -hmm. killed 13 Marines. Well, they weren't all Marines, but yes, 13 American servicemen and women. Yeah. And... That was bad. Sure. The Kabul airport is still pretty dangerous and thousands of people are still trying to get out. And we are approaching the imposed deadline uh, here at the end of August. Um, and, you know, lots of people who want to get out are not going to. Have you read much other, other than the logistics of the evacuation? Have you read much about what's happening in Afghanistan? I f feel like I've read a bit... So basically they're loading people on the planes and then flying them to bases, to U.S. military bases in like Germany and Kuwait mm -hmm. for visa applications so they don't have to stay in Afghanistan. Well, okay, yes, yeah, so that's the logistics of what's happening. But what about individual stories of people living in Afghanistan right now? Have you seen any stories about individual people? Uh... There's an armed resistance movement in the north against the Taliban, and women no longer have any rights. Okay, yeah, that is true uh, in some cases. I mean, we don't know yet. The Taliban says that they'll respect women's rights eventually after they train all their soldiers. Um, I mean, it is a conglomeration. It's not like a, a national military kind of thing with training in that sense. It's not centralized in that way. But uh, Yeah, I, I still don't think it's going to happen. It, this is the Taliban we're talking about. They're not exactly known as 
a bastion of progressive ideals. Right. Well, sure. Um, and I think that there's some interest in seeing what happens with the resistance that's kind of already forming in some places. The thing is, the resistance already, I feel like they already took a province or two, you know, because the Taliban, they swept through so fast that they're still trying to get everything set up. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I still go back to how did how did Afghanistan fall that fast? Did the military just not want to fight? So 20 years ago, when the U.S. invaded Afghanistan, the invasion went very quickly. In fact, many in the U.S. military were surprised at how quickly Afghan soldiers surrendered and 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 uh, turned on the Taliban. And a lot of factors that played into that played in and out. That time in 2001, you know, Afghanistan had for decades just come out of war with Russia and the Soviet Union and then Russia. And they were tired of war. And their military wasn't paid very well. And in many cases, not at all. Or very corrupt. And now, as we fast forward 20 years, and the exact same thing happened in reverse. As the Taliban began to see that the U.S. would be leaving, the U.S. has poured, I don't even know how much money into Afghanistan. Much of it has been siphoned off by the leaders in Afghanistan who go, who left with tons and tons of cash and go party in Qatar and the United Arab Emirates, while the people aren't, don't get that money due to corruption, largely. And so many of the soldiers fighting for the Afghan National Army, once the Americans said they were leaving, they saw the writing on the wall they weren't getting paid in many cases on a regular basis. And so when the Taliban came, the Taliban had already established connections with them and said, hey, we can pay you. Uh, and they're like, hey, I'm poor and starving. Yeah, okay, yeah. I'll take that. So when you look at those dynamics in that sense... So it's not our fault the Afghan army fell. It's kind of their own fault. Well, and it's kind of our fault, too, for thinking that we could just say, hey, we're America, do things this way, and Afghanistan, people of Afghanistan, you'll love us. But it turns out that the soldiers in Afghanistan, you know, didn't have any real reason to love the United States on a large scale because they didn't see most of the money and most of the resources that were being siphoned off by leaders in the Afghan national government. So it's kind of everyone's fault. There's no good answers there. Huh. It's a pretty complicated issue, but once we finally get the last soldier out of Afghanistan, what do we do next? Uh, I don't know. Focus on Taiwan, protecting that from China. But let me ask you this question. You mentioned on that suicide blast the 13 Americans who were killed. Why didn't you mention anybody else who was killed? Oh, well... I've noticed through the media that no one cares if non-Americans are killed. Like, remember that story about the earthquake in Haiti? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that got barely as much attention as the Surfside condo collapse, even though the Haiti earthquake killed, like, seven times the amount of people. Hmm. Because if it's not U.S. lives that are lost, then no one cares. Why do you think that is? I don't know. Do you think that's true for you individually? Like what you notice when you're reading coverage about these things? Well, I, I value lives, but, you know, it's just... I've noticed that the media just doesn't really seem to care unless U.S. lives are involved. So there's... And anyone... If there's a, ca if there's a tragedy with U.S. and non-U.S. lives, it's like, 
13 U.S. soldiers died. And also like 100 other people, but no one cares about them. And that's basically the tone. And do you think that's right? No. So I can tell you sort of how it got this way in some sense. There's, this has been this way largely in media for a long time. And there was a, a, a media commentator by the name of Michael Parenti who sort of put this into words by talking with a British newspaper editor. And it was something along the lines of, uh, it, and I'm going to say it was Liverpool, but it might not have been Liverpool. Let's just say it was London. It's probably London. Uh, something along the lines of, if you're a London newspaper and one person dies in London, it's a news story. If 10 people die in, let's say, Greece, okay, it's a news story. If 100 people die in Algeria, it's a news story. If 1,000 people die in India, it's a news story. But if one person dies in India, it's not a story in London. If one person dies in Greece, it's not a story in London. And so using that, it was a sort of a sense of saying, hey, we're our, we are a local media, and therefore we highlight more what is local. So U.S. press focuses on U.S. lives lost, but it also creates this interest in a way that says American lives are more important. Yeah, and I feel like that's, I don't know if that's the impression they want to give, but that's definitely the impression that they give. And I've read many stories about profiles of the Americans who died and were heroic in many ways, and, and they are stories worth telling. But nobody gives the profiles of the Afghans who died. There have been very few of those. Yeah. Especially in the United States. And so it skews how we perceive the world, these world events. Yeah. I definitely think you make a great point there that, you know, we're like, oh, it's a tragedy. Ah, oh, well, that's too bad. Anyway, next story. So I think part of my challenge for anybody listening is when you see a story and things are happening somewhere, to picture yourself in the plight of the people who are most affected. So in Afghanistan, you know, think about and seek out information about who are the people who died trying to get to the airport and focus less on did the milita American military bungle the, the operation. You know, I think that that will help us get to a better understanding of the world. I think you're right. And be better people as a result. Yeah, you're probably right. It's okay. You can say I'm totally right. You don't have to say probably. Uh, it's just... It's a big admission for a teenager to say his dad's probably right about something. <laughs> you know, I, I'd also like to focus on that come August 31st when we finally get out, that... that August 31st will be the first time in my life where the U.S. is not at war with something. Where there are no troops openly. I guess that's true. actively fighting somewhere. It'll be kind of weird. I mean, kind of grown up just like used to the fact bombing in Middle East. Ah, just another story. Mm -hmm. You know, we've become desensitized to it at this point because it's America's longest ever war. I think over the past 20 years, most Americans most of the time forgot we were still at war in Afghanistan. Yeah. Well, we're going to have to talk about that in our next episode after we've had a time to sort of see what happens on the 31st and figure out what America's role becomes there in Afghanistan and around the world. All right. But uh, that is almost all the time we have. I do want to make sure that we tell our listeners about Post by Futuri. 
Top companies know that to get the most out of their podcasts and including optimization and advertising possibilities, turn to Post by Futuri. If you're thinking about starting a podcast or you're not happy with your podcast service, look it up. Post by Futuri, it's what powers me and my team in the news. And we love it. That's it for this week. I'm Tim. And I'm Ben. And this is me and my team and the news. Goodbye. Goodbye.